Well, welcome to RUF tonight, guys. Um, so glad you're here. My name is John Trapp. I'm the campus minister here for RUF. Um, one of the things we like to oh, this is really bad. Y'all got that? All right, sweet. Um, one of the things we like to say at RUF is RUF is not a place to be seen. It's a place to be known. And we hope that this is a place where you can come and, uh, and be known by other people, but also come to know others who uh, are either seeking answers about faith, maybe for the first time, or, uh, or maybe are growing in their faith. And it's also a place to come and know more of who God is. And we started a sermon series last week in the book of Exodus. And one of the reasons we wanted to do this, as I said, the book of Exodus, it reveals to us who God is in a really powerful way. And last week we saw that the book begins with God's people, Israel, in bondage to this foreign nation, Egypt. And they've been in bondage for 400 years and they're crying out for someone to deliver them. And what I want to look at tonight is what kind of deliverer do we need? Because if you have a bad deliverer, you're still kind of hopeless. So when I, I grew up in a small town in North Alabama called Tuscumbia, and uh, it's the birthplace of Helen Keller. We're all very proud of that. Um, so uh, when I was in the fifth grade, my mom uh, agreed to take me to go see a big movie that had just come out everyone was really excited about called The Lion King. And we went, I remember we went to Pizza Hut beforehand, like a little date, a little father, or a little uh, mother-son date. It was awesome. Got my personal pan pizza. And then we went afterwards to the movie, and she told me I could have whatever candy that I wanted. And so I picked up my favorite candy, which is Skittles. And I had, like, you know, like the big movie theater box of Skittles that I was super pumped to consume while watching this movie. So we go into the movie. I'm watching it. We're having a great time. And it gets to like the really dramatic part of the movie when uh, Mufasa comes in on the wind, you know, in the clouds, and Simba's there looking at him. And I'm eating my Skittles, and I'm really in, engrossed in this movie at this point. And I kind of don't want to be worried about my Skittles anymore. But instead of just putting them on the ground, I decided to just like knock them back and like finish them off. And so I just kind of like drink all the Skittles in like one big mouthful. And I start chewing them, and we're watching the movie. And as I'm chewing, this conglomeration of like green and purple and red is like building in my mouth. And then I go to swallow it, and it doesn't quite swallow. And at first, it's just kind of like it feels a little bit uncomfortable, and I start to kind of cough. And some of y'all met my mom. She came to large group last um, semester. She is like a dainty, high society lady from Nashville, Tennessee, who likes to kind of stay calm and peaceful. And I start to kind of cough, and she looks at me and loses her mind in the middle of the street. She's like, John, are you okay? John. John, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm like trying to like keep it cool and like not make a big deal about it, but I'm also like really beginning to wonder if I'm going to choke to death. And so I'm like coughing more and more. She's like, John, John, baby, John, baby, baby, John, 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 John baby. And I'm like, uh, you know, and coughing more and more. And she, she somehow thinks that she knows that I'm a maneuver at this point. And so she stands up and just starts punching me in the stomach, basically. She does not know what she's doing. She's wailing on me on, in my stomach. And now, not only am I, like, coughing to death, my mom is beating me in, in the stomach. And so then, she starts screaming in the middle of the movie theater, Doctor, Doctor, I need a doctor, I need a doctor, I need a doctor, 
So everyone like everyone empties the movie theater at this point because they want to watch this kid like die. You know, it's more interesting than the movie. So she like she dragged me down the hall, down the hall, out the movie theater. The whole everyone spills out. They're watching what's happening, and no one is helping. And I'm just sitting there coughing. My mom's in my mouth, like turning blue at this point. And then um, a lady walks. Yeah, I like, hi, I'm, uh, I'm a nurse at Helen Keller Hospital. About the way, our hospital is Helen Keller Hospital. Everything's <laughs> Helen Keller Hospital. Uh, she's like, I'm a nurse at Helen Keller Hospital. I can do, may I perform the Heimlich maneuver on your son? She does, and she saves me. And my issue before that, I want you to think, play back in your head. My mom, like, she loves me, she cares for me. She's listening to this podcast right now and like feeling really guilty for punching me in the stomach because my mom listens to all my sermons, which are posted online if you're going to listen to them. But anyway, she's going to make me she listens to them. Anyway, um, hey, mom. So, the problem was she just wasn't able to deliver me. She didn't have the ability to. I needed a good deliverer, and fortunately, I got one. And that's where Israel finds himself. They find themselves in the beginning of um, the book of Exodus needing a good deliverer and crying out for one. And you're going to see in the beginning of this passage that uh, it looks... It looks like we've got it. It looks like we know who it's going to be. And then things kind of go off the rails for a long time. So I want you to use your imagination. It's a long passage. Um, we're going to read this whole thing. Because it reads really, it almost reads like a movie script. And there's been a lot of movies actually about the life of Moses. This is uh, beginning in Exodus 2. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. The reason she's hiding him, by the way, is because Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is killing all the young Israelite boys. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank, and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and while her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds, and sent her servant woman, her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. Now this is much later, but the next verse says, One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? And he answered, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. He sat down by a well. Later on in the story, now Moses 
was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. This is after Moses has been in Midian for 40 years. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Moses looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. And he said, do not come near to take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I, that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. This is God's word. Let's pray and ask him to bless our time in it. Father, we thank you that you have given us this story. And um, we thank you that we can share in it even now. And we pray that you would help us to see how that is true. How you are a God who delivers people who feel and see themselves in a hopeless situation. And we pray that we would see primarily how you do that through the person and work of Jesus. We ask all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're going to do two points tonight. First, the need for a deliverer. And second, the provision of a deliverer. Okay, so first, the need of a deliverer. And I was thinking about this, like, what's a hopeless situation that I've experienced in my life? And this is going to be, like, major first world problems I'm about to share with you. But a hopeless situation, living as I did for uh, most of my, or for all my childhood in the state of Alabama. Um, pretty much, if you live in Alabama, you have to pick like. My dilemma was both of my parents went to Vanderbilt, which is where I went to undergrad too. And so I never really, I, I kind of dug my heels in. I'm like, I'm not going to cheer for Auburn or Alabama. I'm going to cheer for Vanderbilt. I'm going to be a Vanderbilt fan. It was a terrible decision, guys. Like the worst decision I could have made as a child to be a Vanderbilt football fan. And um, we have been wandering in the wilderness of horrible football for 34 years now. So that's been a lot. Um, to give you an idea of how bad it's been, the last time Vanderbilt beat Alabama was my parents' first football date in college. And my parents are pretty old now. Like, that's a long time. Sorry, my mom was using his pockets. I forgot all that. Anyway, um, so here's the thing. Every couple years, though, with Vanderbilt, there'll be, like, some hotshot offensive coordinator who's been doing great at some other conference, and we'll be like, this is our guy. We're going to hire this guy, and he is going to lead us to the promised land. And it never works. It just never, ever works. Because we don't have the right deliverer. 
And even, no matter what kind of pedigree he's got, no matter what kind of program he's come from, no matter how great a recruiter is, no matter how excited everyone gets, then the games start. And we realize that we still have a problem. And I want you to think about the context that Israel finds itself in, which is a, a dire need of someone that they need to deliver them. And the odds are so stacked against them. They are enslaved by the world power of their day, Egypt. And not only that, but all of their young boys are being killed, which means that they, are, they have no hope of ever kind of assembling the sort of army that you would need to beat Egypt. And yet, we see this, what we think is this like deliverer born, Moses. And he seems groomed to be the perfect deliverer of Israel. Think about it. I mean, his life really is like out of a movie script. His mother puts him in this basket and puts him in, a riv- in the river where all the other baby boys are being drowned. And he's found by the king's daughter who then takes pity on him, adopts him, but then has his mother come and nurse him and raise him so that, here's what, here's what happens, Moses doesn't lose his cultural identity as a Hebrew man. It says it later. It says it in the passage that we read. When he goes, like, he sees his people being oppressed. He still identifies as a Hebrew man, and yet he has all the privilege of all the most wealthy and powerful people of his day. He's a prince. He's the daughter of the princess, which means he's in the best schools. He's got the best nutrition, the best exercise, the best. Recreation. He's got the best of everything that the world could hold out to him. And he's being educated and groomed. And you would think that this is going to be the one who's going to lead a political revolution for Israel. It must be Moses. He had the resume that made him the perfect fit for helping them solve their great problem. No pressure for him, right? No pressure. And I can't help but think that the same kind of pressure that Moses must have felt must also be felt in this room. The same kind of pressure of being told, like, you have the world at your fingertips. You are very privileged to have the kind of education that you have or to be from the families that you're from or to be from to to be able to read even puts you in the like upper half of the world. And it's told you when you show up here, what starts here does what? Changes the world, right? What starts here changes the world. No pressure, guys. Just go change the world, okay? And that's a beautiful thing, by the way. I'm not critiquing that. But I, but I want to recognize like, what that must feel like. And some of you want to impact... A particular part of the world. Maybe like you have, you've like thought of, man, I really want, I want to impact the world of finance or the world of education or oil or medicine or whatever it is. And you literally have the tools at your fingertips to do this. Y'all got the education, you've got the looks, the social connections with powerful people. You've got maybe some of you have financial security. You have all of this privilege at your fingertips to be the deliverer. Of whatever kind of field that you're going into. 
Some of you have a different kind of pressure to be a different kind of deliverer. Maybe you have the pressure to be the deliverer for your family. Like you're going to be the one who brings in the steady paycheck. Or you're going to be the one who has, who finally has like the stable marriage in your family. And you've got to figure that out. You're going to be the one who's going to bring stability to your family. Some of you want to be maybe even a different kind of deliverer. Maybe you're just looking to deliver yourself from a life of boredom. And so you're searching for that. Looking to inside yourself. To, how, can I, how can I live a life that's interesting or entertainment or, or entertaining or comfortable? And like Moses was born into, into a particularly advantageous situation. You have too, and you have the resources to rescue yourself from the things that you fear, whether it's um, boredom or loneliness or discomfort. And I want you to think about the kind of delivery that Moses wants. He wants freedom for Israel. And then he sees somebody being oppressed in Exodus 2.12. And he immediately takes matters into his own hands. He kills the guy who's hurting the Hebrew man that he sees. He takes matters into his own hands. And he immediately puts his ability to impact his world into jeopardy. He puts it in jeopardy. As soon as he realizes that he's at risk, then Moses runs away and he lives in obscurity for 40 years. And by the way, he's 40 when he leaves. So it's not Moses is 80 years old when God shows up to him in Exodus 3, where we were looking. And I want you to think about this. Um, Moses's life for 80 years, it looks like failure. It looks like this guy who goes from palace parties in the Mecca of culture to podunk, middle of nowhere, sheep herder. From prince to shepherd, from hanging with elites to hanging with sheep. He goes from having whatever kind of experiences or meals or vacations or future aspirations that a prince might want. And he goes from that into hiding because he's failed. And you see this. You see that no matter the privilege that you may have, that one mistake can mess it up. One mistake. Some of you may know people and you've seen it happen to them. That one DUI. Or that one foolish tweet. Or that one whatever. And that mistake is what gets their life off the rails. And so for, for many students that I minister to and meet with, and I even see this in my own life too. Do you know what our answer is in the face of that? Like, man, one mistake and I'm going to get off the rails. Our answer is, well, I guess that means I need to be perfect. <clears throat> Perfection then is the answer. That's what's going to make it. Me be able to be able to deliver myself from whatever thing I'm afraid of or whatever or to be able to affect whatever change in the world that I want to affect. I need to be perfect. And so how do I get the job that I want? I have to have the perfect resume. That means I can never be a camp counselor or go on a mission trip over a summer. I I need to do all the internships. I I need to follow every letter of the law, get all the grades, get all the references, and then I can get that job. Or, I, or maybe I'm the person who wants to be the, the stable marriage in our family. So that means I need to get married soon. 
and I need to be the perfect boyfriend or girlfriend. I can never disagree with my significant other. I need to do whatever they want me to do. All right? And I can't speak up and I can't conflict with them because then I might mess things up. But the problem with this is that you cannot be perfect. You can't. And so what we need is a deliverer to be sent for us. What Moses is going to find out is that before he can be a deliverer, he has to be delivered. Before Moses can provide any kind of delivery for Israel, he too must be delivered. It's kind of like, you know when you're, if you've ever been sitting on an airplane, they start going through all the safety regulations, and you're like, thanks, I'm, I'm pretty sure I remember how to buckle a seatbelt, but got it, okay, check. And they're going through all this stuff, and then they talk about, there's actually this one kind of profound rule that they have that they're telling you, which is when the cabin pressure changes and the masks drop down, do you know what they tell you to do? If you're traveling with children, put the mask on yourself first before you help your children. Now, why is this? And maybe you don't get this. You'll get this when you have kids. But... If, if the cabin pressure changed in our plane and Chrissy Trapp was like sitting by like one of the five little traplings that we have and the, the masks drop, man, it would be easy for her to just like, like her instinct is going to be, I got to get masks on everyone. But she is of no help to them if she's like conked out, suffocated on the ground and needs to get, need to get masks on like trap kit number five, right? Um, y'all pray for us when we fly. It's really, it's an adventure. But, um, like, this is the same reality for you. You have, you really do have kind of the world at your fingertips right now. And all kinds of things that you're maybe thinking about that, I, that you want to do or you want to be part of solving or helping, whether it's in your own life or your family's life or the world. But you cannot be a deliverer until you've been delivered. It makes me think of, I don't, I don't know if you've heard the story of Chuck Colson. If you haven't, you need to hear it. It's incredible. Chuck Colson was, he was an Ivy League graduate, very successful in um, the political sphere. So successful, in fact, that before he was 40, he found himself as a senior advisor in the Nixon uh, White House. Which means that he kind of became the hatchet man for Richard Nixon. And when the Watergate scandal happened, um, Chuck Colson found himself headed to prison. And during the, all that turmoil, he calls a friend and asks him to meet with him uh, for some law advice. And instead the guy comes and he pushes a copy of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity across the table to him and says, you need to read this. Because I've read it and it's changed my life. And Chuck Colson reads it and in his most dire moment of his life, he realizes he needs to deliver. And he becomes a Christian and starts this thing called Prison Fellowship, which is a ministry to prisoners that's now present in 120 countries worldwide. Have you ever done um, the Angel Tree Project, where uh, you like, give presents to kids um, whose parents are in prison? Chuck Colson started that. 300,000 kids get Christmas presents uh, because of Chuck Colson. Um, so, 
what we see is in order, we can, in order to be a deliverer, we must first be delivered. And I want you to consider where Moses finds himself. Thank you, Casey. You're the man. Um, should I just hold that? Yeah. Okay, cool. Guys, give it up for Casey. All right. I feel like I should like sing something to you guys right now. Um, so in order for, um, in order for Casey, for not Casey, in order for uh, Moses, excuse me, Casey, um, in order for Moses to be a deliverer, he has to first be delivered. And I want you to see how Moses probably thought he was just a total screw up. He's an 80 year old man watching sheep. He was, he, he was supposed to be the next big thing. And it's then that God shows up. And God does it in this unique way. There's this burning bush. And there's something like very theological that's being communicated here. Did you see how it said that the bush is burning, but it's not being consumed? Theologians say that this is pointing to the aseity of God. A-S-E-I-T-Y. Aseity. It means that God is self-existing. He doesn't depend on anything else in order to exist. And so when he shows up in the bush, the bush isn't being consumed. It's not burning because he needs no fuel to burn. And he shows up to Moses and reveals himself, who he really is to Moses. He tells Moses, the first person who gets to hear the name of God is this dude who had all the privilege in the world and squandered it and just messed up. And God shows up to him. And he tells him, Moses, I am who I am. Meaning, I exist in and of myself. Nothing can be added to to me. He is dependent on nothing and no one. And yet we find that God is moving towards Moses. Why? Now, this is... Theological side note. Another religion that believes that that would say God has this characteristic of a seity would be Islam. Okay? They would agree that like Allah has always existed and exists in himself. But here's the difference between God and Allah. Well, one of the differences. Um while they while both religions affirm the aseity of God. The Christian religion claims that God is triune, that he is three persons in one God, that he exists in community with himself, that he's relational in his very essence and being. This is so important, you guys. And so what that means is that when when God created, he didn't create out of loneliness and needing someone to be with him to worship him. He didn't need that. Allah did. It's, it's one of the reasons why the word Islam means submission. That is what the religion is about. Allah created so that he could have people submit and worship him. Now, God did create us to worship him. That is also at the heart of Christianity. But God created not out of an overflow of, love, of loneliness, but out of an overflow of love. And because God is loving and because he is good, here's what that means. It means that you can't be unrighteous and stand before God. 
because he's good and he cannot accept evil. And again, the Quran would agree with this. Quran 19, chapter 19, verse 96. I bet you didn't think you're going to hear some Quran verses today, but here we go. On those who believe and work deeds of righteousness will Allah most gracious bestow love. Now I want you to hear how similar this sounds to a verse from the Bible I'm about to read to you. So again, Quran, on those who believe and work deeds of righteousness will Allah most gracious bestow love. Psalm 11, chapter 11, verse 7. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Okay, so what's the difference then? If both texts are saying that God loves righteous deeds and that it's to the righteous that he shows love, then what's the difference? If you're interested in like doing some comparative like religion studies at some point, I know y'all are like reading all kinds of books, but maybe this summer if you want a book to read, there's a book called Seeking Allah and Finding Jesus written by a man named Nabil Qureshi, who was exploring um, the faith that he grew up in, um, the Muslim faith. But he began also talking to other people of different religions and he made friends with a Christian. And um, it kind of changed his life as he got to know who Jesus was. And Nabil Qureshi's book says, Muslims believe that salvation is a matter of doing more good deeds than bad deeds. That's kind of, that, okay, Allah wants, he wants works of righteousness. And so Muslims believe that salvation is a matter of doing more good deeds than bad. And in his book, though, uh, Nabil recalls a conversation that he has with his Christian friend that began changing things for him when he began really understanding like, what the Christian faith is claiming. And his friend said this, Nabil, Christians are God's children. And he is their father. We have incurred a debt against God and we can't pay him back. So in his mercy, he pays for our sins for us. The wages of our sin is death. And he died on our behalf, balancing the accounts. This is why this is so good. This is why we call the Christian faith the gospel. It's good news. Because the news is that, yes, God smiles on those who are righteous, but he has made a way for failures like Moses and failures like me to become righteous. And the way he has done that is God has entered history as a man. See, the the story of Moses, it points us to a true and better Moses, a true deliverer. One who never fails his people. The story of Moses points us to Jesus, who Jesus also was a prince who left his throne room in heaven. But he did not leave his throne room and go into um, because because of some sin that he had done. Instead, Jesus was the prince of heaven and he left his throne and went into a life of obscurity, just like Moses. Just like Moses did, but Jesus didn't do it to save himself and to hide. No, Jesus did it to save us so that we wouldn't have to hide from him anymore in our sin. See, Moses was guilty for the blood that he had shed, but Jesus came into this world and shed his blood so that we would not be guilty. 
See, Jesus is the true and better Moses. He's the one that Moses points us to. And so what that means is that in Moses, we see that God is able to use him as a deliverer, but only after Moses is first delivered by a God who meets him and loves him and shows him grace. And that same God offers you the same invitation. Not because of the things that you have done to please him, but because of the things that he has done for you so that he might smile on you. And this is true of the God of the Bible. It's how he's revealed himself. And so the question is like, maybe tonight is your burning bush night where God is kind of revealing more of who he is to you. And so the question is like, what do you do? Every day I'll walk past this beautiful verse that's on the tower, on the main building. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. It's John 8, 32. And all throughout the book of John, when Jesus talks about the truth, in fact, later on in John 14, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How, do we, how can we be freed? By knowing who God really is. And he has presented himself to you in the person and work of Jesus. And so, if the God of the Bible is real, and that means ultimate truth is, is real, he is the ultimate truth, and that the ultimate reality is to know him, and knowing him, according to the verse on the main building, to know him is to be set free. And so that's what's held out to you, is freedom. Freedom from having to save yourself and be your own deliverer. But it's not... In the Christian faith, we're not just freed from things. We're also freed for things. And here's kind of my so what for y'all tonight that I want to close with. Because it's really interesting. Like, Moses is all of like the educational privilege and his history and all of that. It's still like God doesn't just wave his hand at him and be like, that doesn't matter anymore. Like, now you're mine. No, what God does is he actually takes that and he uses it. For the good of the nation of Israel. Because of Moses' background, he like knows how to write. And he writes the first five books of the, of the Bible. Like a Hebrew slave couldn't have done that. But Moses could. Because of Moses' background, he could go in and have like dialogue with Pharaoh and like know all the, cult, all the cultural norms of being in a throne room and interacting and that. He was ready and primed for that. And so my question for you is, like, how could, I don't, you're not going to help anyone in the world by being ashamed of the privilege that you've been born into, if you have it. It doesn't help anyone. What I want you to start imagining and thinking, Christians, is not only what has God freed me from, like my sin and my guilt and my shame, but also what has he freed me for? And how can I use all the privileges and rights and wonderful things that he's given me for the good of those around me? And Moses, by the way, he's like not that excited about going back to Egypt. Like when God shows up to him, he's like kind of reluctant about it. Like the dialogue in the next chapter, he's like, like, what if they don't believe me? And like, I'm not very good with words. Like, I don't know like what to do. And like, he kind of like starts rolling off all this stuff because he knows that it's going to be costly. 
He's afraid. But God tells him, I will be with you. And that is the assurance for you tonight, is God will be with you. And, and the God of love holds out to you an invitation of a life filled with meaning. Not that you have to go and find and create on your own, but a life lived with him. And so, man, I want that for y'all. I want you freed from the pressure of like, I just think about you guys and like, man, I, I love y'all. And uh, I know so many of y'all's stories. What I so want for you is for you to like, not live in the bondage of like so many of the things that you've been born into of like um, like sad home lives or histories of addiction or like fill in the blank and what I pray for y'all I really I pray this for y'all and lots of people pray this like I want you to know the love of God that he really does rejoice over people who mess up all the time and I want to, like, what I imagine, I imagine, like, seeing y'all in 10, 15, 20 years from now and seeing, like, people who love their neighbors well, fathers who love their children well, and who maybe weren't loved well when they were a kid, but now because they know the love of God, they haven't just been freed from their sin, but they've been freed for being a father who gives his life away for the good of his kids, or a mother who gives her life away for the good of her kids, or a church member who gives her life away for the good of the church and the people around them. Man, I want that for y'all. And I want you to know the love of God. So let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this time to be together to once more worship you. Um, Lord, we ask um, that we would see that you are our great deliverer, not because of the things that we have done for you, but because of what you've done for us in the person of Jesus. And I pray um, that we might, ma- might imagine more and more what it would look like to be freed for the good of this world uh, and for the good of others. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all, let's dance one more song.